Well, we're glad that you joined us. I don't know about you, but we feel the presence of the Lord, even though the room is empty. That's the wonderful thing about God. There is nothing that stops him. If his people cry out to him, he answers. So it's, I'm so glad that you joined us. We're going to start a new series called Christianity in a World of Complexity. I don't know about you, but I have realized over the last many weeks how unbelievably complex this world is. I have read more articles, watched more news, learned more about what's going on in other countries and other cities in the world. So I've realized, wow, it's so complex. Lord, I need you to make it clear. Only God can take extreme complexity and make it so clear to us. And that's what the Word of God does. In all your study, in all your news, in all your reports, in all the social media, make sure every week... Make sure by the grace of God every day that you're studying his word so you have clarity in this life. So turn with me to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. We're just going to read two verses in Luke chapter 3. Now I have to set this up because even though this is only two verses, it's extremely complex. There are five different rulers, four different regional geographical locations you're going to see, and hear from two different names of high priests just in these two verses. So five different rulers from Caesar to regional rulers, four different regionals geographically, and two different priests. That's complex. That is complex. That's a lot going on. So let's read this and learn from the word of God. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Ituria, and the region of Tetontius, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Albiline, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests. Wow, that's a mouthful. But in all of that, in all the complexity, no matter what's going on in the world, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. There is so much going on in just these few verses, but let me set up what's going on in the world so we can understand the complexity and see how God moves and and is sovereign no matter what's going on. So this is what's going on in the world. I have a couple of maps here I want to show you. The first one is of the Roman Empire around the time this is written. Obviously, the Roman Empire at this time in history was the largest ever seen. It covered all the way up into England, across Europe, into Africa, and had great influence even in Asia, really so much of the known world. So this is at the height of the Roman Empire. Now, imagine how many different regional rulers and rules and laws and, right, People that are in charge have their own flavor and their own rules and the own way they do things. So that's Rome. Now let's hone in just to the place where John and G- John the Baptist and Jesus was. Let's look at the Holy Land in Jesus' time, and that's going to show us even more complexity. So look at this. You see the purple, the Roman rule. You see Herod's rule in red. You see his um, brother-in-law, his brother, Philip. Herod Philip in the green in a different area. The, the yellow is where Jesus traveled most probably. So just in that tiny, tiny little place on the map compared to the giant one we just saw, look at how complex that is. 
That is unbelievably complex. That you have all of these different rulers. This is one of the reasons why Jesus went back and forth during his trial and who's in charge and how are they going to do this. So when we see that, we understand the complexity that's going on in, our, in their world. This is what we need to realize. Our world is not worse or more sinful or more fallen than theirs was. They had major complex issues politically, socially. They weren't making the rules and laws those, all those leaders you just heard about were. John wasn't. Jesus wasn't. And why did the sovereign God of the universe want Jesus and John, the forerunner, and then Jesus, the Messiah, to come into such a difficult time? Why wouldn't it be easier to, to, to be in a, diff, in a different time that it wasn't so hard and so political and all that? No. Because God wanted his people to understand that no matter what's going on in the world, how complex and how many different voices there are, there's one person in charge. There's one king, there's one ruler, and that's Jesus. Even in all of this complexity. So we see all of this complexity, all of this difficulty, and there are three phrases that come about John the Baptist that is going to give us some understanding in this world. And I want you to look at these three phases that have three simple little points that you can take from the Word of God that need to go deep in your spirit during this time that we're dealing with. Verse 2 says, The word of the Lord came. It gives Caesar's name, it gives the political power's name, it gives the regional breakup, it shows all the things going on in the world, all the difficulty, all the different voices, all the different people clamoring, but it stops everything and it says, I want to tell you that God will speak to his people exactly the way he wants to. Nothing stops the word of God. Nothing can hinder God's people if they will say, Lord, you're God. No matter what's going on in this world, I want to hear from you. I want your opinion. I want your viewpoint. I want you to show me the way you think in all of this crazy world going on. I want you to remember this, number one, on your screen. God can speak in any environment. Any environment. I don't care if you've been at home with a bunch of kids or animals or dogs and you're dying to get out just to go to the 7-Eleven, God can speak to you. God is not hindered in any environment. And just like all this craziness we read, God still speaks to John. And the word of the Lord came to him. We need to be expecting to hear the word of God in the difficult, complex times. And often... That's when we stop. That's when we realize we're not enough. That's when we realize I don't have all the answers. I must hear the word of the Lord. He often arrests us and stops us and says, wait on me. In fact, the Bible says it's good to wait on the Lord. I want to show you when this happened to two people in the Bible. Paul, the great apostle who wrote one-third of the books of the New Testament, and his spiritual son, Timothy. God is going to speak through Paul in the last hours, possibly days, but probably hours before Paul's going to die. Paul says, my time of my departure is at hand. This is 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. And it's hours before his death or, or days. Listen to what he tells his spiritual son. Now think about this. He loves Timothy. 
it's his child. What would you tell your children right before your death? How would you tell them, you don't have daddy's voice anymore? You don't have my stability? You're not going to get any more letters? This is what I want you to remember in this complex world of difficulty, of voices, good, bad, in between, and everything going on. This is what I want you to hone in on. This is going to bring you peace. This is going to help you to focus. This is what it is. And it's 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. I want you to remember, first of all, that we serve the living God, not a dead God, not a religion, not a philosophy, but we serve the living God. And he was raised from the dead and he lives and you can live too because of him. That's the first thing I want you to remember. You reflect on your salvation. Remember and reflect on your salvation. Secondly, he was raised from the dead according to my gospel for which I suffer trouble. If you're going to serve the Lord in a broken world, there's going to be difficulty. Trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, I am quarantined against my will. But, what does it say? The word of God is not chained. I'm in prison. You're not going to hear from me anymore. But I want to tell you right now that God can speak in any environment. Timothy, you won't lack. You won't lack me being gone. You won't get another letter from me. But the word of God is not chained. And I won't be speaking to you anymore. But God is going to increase his speaking to you. The word of God is never bound. You must understand it. It must be in the deepest part of your heart and mind because you'll get frustrated if it's not, because you'll think that the circumstances of this world dictate, and that is not true. The Bible says the word of God is not chained. Oh, what a wonderful understanding that we remember. God, you can speak in any circumstance. I've actually watched this as my wife is always dealing with five children, but the children, we can't go anywhere. My wife has tried to figure out how to um, be able to study the word, how to better hear from the Lord and all this craziness. She found a Bible app, Dwell. We put it on um, our Facebook page. It's free for all of our members. But she began to listen to the word of God. She had it on audio. And even though there's other voices and all those things, she was able to hear it, hear it, hear it. And it has changed her attitude. It has changed her demeanor in one week. She got it at the beginning of last week. All of this week, it strengthened her. It's given her focus, even though all of these difficulties and complexities, she's been feeding herself with the word, and it changes her environment and her life. Let's keep looking here. So we're right there in Luke chapter 3, a very complex time. No one's historically going to argue the complexity politically, socially. We didn't even talk about Greek and the influence of the Greek world Um, in this. We understand it's a very complex time, but the word of the Lord came to John. Secondly, it says, the word of the Lord came to John, the son of Zacharias. Okay? Remember, there are no unnecessary details in the Bible. Not one. Why doesn't it just say John the Baptist? Why doesn't it just say John? We all know who he is. Why does Luke say, this is John, the son of Zacharias? Well, who was Zacharias? He comes on the scene just a few chapters before in Luke 1, right? He's a priest, an old man. The Bible says he and his wife were godly people, Elizabeth. 
They were older. She was barren. They had no children, but they feared God, and they were doing their duty before the Lord. Well, it comes up for his time to go into offer incense into the temple. He goes into the temple, and lo and behold, an angel is standing there. And an angel gives him instruction about his son yet unborn, just like Abraham. And to understand this, we need to read Luke 1, 14, 17, because we need to understand why it says John, the son of Zacharias. So look at Luke 1, 14 through 17. So the angel says this to the priest. Remember, it's just doors are closed. It's just the priest and the angel. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, John. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. For he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. The wine or strong drink is a Nazarite vow. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of and power of Elijah, in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, why is that connected to what we're reading in Luke 3? This is why. You see, Zacharias, as I said, was a priest, right? And priesthood functions on family lines. In fact, it's the Levites. And if you're born a Levite and your daddy's a priest, guess what you're going to be? A priest. That's the way it works. So this is a question. Why was John the Baptist not a priest? Why? Because his earthly fatherly line was supposed to be a priest. It was even in the Old Testament. It was Old Covenant. But the Old Covenant is going to end. It's time to stop the Old Covenant. There's only one high priest coming on the scene, and he's going to be the Savior of the world. And John is going to function like Elijah, a man full of power, a man full of anointing. And I want to tell you, Zechariah, earthly daddy, who gives identity, that this man is not going to follow in your line. But the revelation of God for his identity and who he's supposed to be, I come straight from the throne of God, and I'm going to tell you what his identity is going to be. I don't want you to mess it up. I understand your intentions are good, but ultimate identity comes from God. Hopefully, with godly parents, it comes through the parents too. But whether they're godly parents or ungodly parents, God's identity is greater, and he wants to pour it into you. He's so much like Elijah. Let me tell you how much John the Baptist was like Elijah. He's called the second Elijah. He has a lifestyle in the wild and wilderness. Just like Elijah was in the wilderness, so was John the Baptist. He had spent long time in the desert, and his ministry comes surprisingly and suddenly just like Elijah's. We don't know anything about Elijah. All it says in 1 Kings um. 1 Kings 17.1 is Elijah the Tishbite goes to King Ahab. Boom, his ministry starts. We don't know anything else about him. It's the same with John the Baptist. Just boom, he stands up. The power of God is with him. His ministry starts. He's proclaiming repentance and baptism. 
Not only was he in the spirit of Elijah, he even looked and dressed like Elijah. Let me say dressed like. I don't know exactly what he looked like. We know that he dressed the same as Elijah. Second Kings, which is very strange in the Bible, Second Kings 1.8 tells us what Elijah looked like. He had animal hair and he wore a large leather belt. Wait a minute. Didn't John the Baptist have animal hair and wear a large leather belt? You see, I was thinking about this. Why is this in the Bible? Why is this detail there in the Bible? Because God wants us to know that our identity comes from him. And he wants it to be so specific that God is going to speak to John and say, John, you're not going to be a priest. You're going to be a prophet. You're going to be a powerful preacher of repentance, which is what Elijah was. Remember, he turned all the Baal of worship to God. He killed all the prophets of Baal. You're going to worship God alone. He's going to dress the same. John, your identity is so set. I want you to wear the same clothes as Elijah. I want you to, to look like him and talk like him and think like him. That's my plan for you. What a beautiful picture. What does that mean? What does all this mean? Number two, God wants to clarify your identity. He wants in this time to clarify crystal clear who you are as a Christian, who God's called you to be as a husband or a father. Tell you, I have had to think hard and I already spend a lot of time with my kids because we're homeschooled. But God has been doing some clarity about husbanding, about parenting, about what he's called me to do and who I am. And I think he's doing the same for you. He did it right here with John the Baptist. He says, my people are to have an identity that's absolutely clear, that their clarity is so clear. And that's what he does. You're not the son of Zacharias. I've given Zacharias the identity for you, and I will give it to you because everything's established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. I'm going to tell you what God's will for our lives is. This is clear in the Bible. I'm not giving a new revelation. Your family are the people chosen by God for you to spend the majority of your time with. Let me say that again. Your family, your spouse and your children while they're in your home, are the people chosen by God for you to spend the majority of your time with. Now, I didn't say 90%. I said the majority. That's 51%. If your life is so busy and so complicated and, and so nonstop that you spend a minority with your family, that's not God's will for your life. There are always seasons of busyness and all those things. But if your normal, consistent life is a minority, it's very clear that's not what God wants. He wants you to adjust your life to get to 51%. Now, we all have to work and all those things. We have been way over 51% the last few weeks. But see, God pushes us to a holy place. And then so we can ease back down. And when we come down, we're higher than we were before. He brings us to the mountaintop. You don't get to live on the mountaintop. He brings us to the valley. You're not going to live way down there. And to teach us things to say, okay, now I want you to live like this, not like this. And I want to challenge you and encourage you. Ask the Spirit of God, Christians, that dwells on the inside of you. Is 51% of your life devoted to what God wants you to be devoted to? I love you. 
I'm encouraging you, but I'm telling you by the word of God, adjust and align your life because your identity and your children's identity will be affected greatly by it. So God wants to speak to you in any environment. God wants to clarify our identity. There's one other wonderful thing God wants to do. Wonderful, wonderful thing God wants to do. And it's just three words. Three little words, but God's words are way bigger than our words. What are the last three words of Luke 3, verse 2? In the wilderness. In the wilderness. Now, this specifically was a place outside of, uh, in the area of, of uh, outside of Galilee, that was a wilderness place. But a wilderness is also uh, metaphorical for any place where there is lacking, any place where it's sparse, there's just not much of, whether it's relationship, whether it's finances, whether it's the presence of the Lord, whether it's healthy, whatever. God speaks in wildernesses. In fact, I will submit to you that God usually His main mode of speaking is wilderness. Let me give you several, but not close to all of the biblical examples. God called to Abraham from his tent in the wilderness. Through you, all peoples will be blessed. God said to Hagar when she felt like dying and her son was getting ready to die and no one cared for her in the desert, breaths before her last, he said, I am the God who sees you. God spoke to Moses on the holy mountain from a burning bush, saying, you will be the voice of deliverance in the wilderness. God spoke to Joshua, said, be strong and courageous. I am with you. Where? In the wilderness. God spoke to Isaiah and touched his lips. You are clean. Now go and speak in the wilderness. And of course, above all, God drove his son by the Spirit of God in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. God will get you alone. You should have wilderness times in your life. And I don't want you to despise them. I have learned not to despise the direction the Lord brings me. The place the Lord puts me in. If I am a servant, I will follow my master wherever he tells me to go. You, Christian, are the same. God has wilderness times for you. He has wilderness seasons for you. Number three, the wilderness is our place of revelation. The wilderness is our place. It is Christian's place of revelation. Do not think that it is most commonly found anywhere else on this planet. It is in wilderness times that God wants to speak to you. John's ministry was given to him in the wilderness. And I will submit this to you also. The 40 days Jesus spent in the wilderness, driven by the Spirit of God, that, that his entire earthly ministry was downloaded into him in those 40 days. Just like Moses was downloaded the first five books of the Bible when he was on the mountaintop for 40 days and 40 nights. Do not despise the wilderness. God wants to speak to you in it. I want to show you these scriptures because Jesus is our ultimate example in everything. If you, we're right here in John 3. If you keep reading, 
When you get to John 4, 1, this is what it says. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan right after his baptism and was led by the Spirit into the what? Wilderness. Now it says comma there, and the Satan came and tempted him. Do not think that he was led into the wilderness to be tempted. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of the living God. And it is only in the Spirit of the living God that you can overcome every temptation of the enemy. It is only in the place that you've been driven by the Spirit of God that the devil himself can come knocking on your door and come to you over and over again. And in that place where the Spirit of God drives you, the Spirit of God will supply to you to say, Get behind me, Satan. Please do not buck, do not despise the wilderness of God, for there is where the power of God is. It is not found anywhere else but where God drives you. Now, he didn't stay in the wilderness. Storms are always seasonal. Wilderness is always God's mode to work and change us. In fact, if we read just a few verses more in Luke 4.14, it says something wonderful. Then Jesus returned. You're not going to stay in the wilderness. This too shall pass of this quarantine. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Galilee is where almost all his miracles were done. Galilee is where he spent the the vast majority of his three years. Galilee is why we even have the Bible in the New Testament, all the red. You wouldn't have the red without Galilee. You wouldn't have Galilee without the wilderness. The wilderness must happen in your life so you can be filled with the Spirit, so you can rely on Him, so the things of this world can be removed from you, for no flesh will glory in His presence. Be in the wilderness. Return in the power of the Spirit. That's God's plan for you. That's God's season for you. Tell me it's not, because that's our Savior's plan, and so as the Master will the servant be. You will return from this wilderness and you'll learn to hear his voice. Your identity will be set and every Pharisee can attack you. Every demonic spirit can attack you and saying, oh, you're the son of God. Oh, you're the son of God. And Jesus' identity was set. Nothing could move him. That's what God wants for you. Nothing can move you when you were in Christ, that new creation. I'm going to end with this scripture and a story. Let me tell you the story first. Well, we've been quarantined for weeks. And thank God, this is Louisiana. And it's April, which means crawfish season. Holy is your name. So luckily, all the crawfish places, the drive throughs are open. So it had been too long already. And Megan said, I want crawfish for my birthday. I said, praise God. I'm so glad I married a godly woman. So Ellie begged to go because we're trying to figure out creative ways to spend time with our kids and do little dates. So I took Ellie to crawfish time. Crawfish time opened at 5 o'clock. I pulled into the parking lot as it turned, 5.01, because I knew, oh, I knew the jackals would be out. There were already 10 people in line. I pulled up and I said, well, this will be 15 or 20 minutes, but better than an hour if I'd have been 10 minutes later. By the time 10 minutes passed, there was 25 cars in line. But where we pulled up behind those 10 vehicles as we were waiting to order our crawfish, we were right in between where they're boiling the crawfish and the trash can. 
and the wind was blowing, and the windows were down. And Ellie screams from the back seat, oh my, what's that smell? I said, well, babe, they have old crawfish. They got a trash can. It smells like rotten seafood out here. Oh, it's so horrible. I said, oh, love, it may smell bad now, but if you will just wait, the reward will be so great. Oh, but it's bad. I don't like it. Roll up the windows. I said, babe, that ain't going to help. It's not going to help. Please, please, I'm going to throw up. She even put her hand on her nose. She's seven. She's a little emotional. Oh, it's so horrible. I said, babe, just wait. This will pass, and it will be worth it. So slowly the line moved. We got our wonderful 10 pounds and all the fixings and the sauce and everything. We got home. The memory quickly faded as she bit into that glorious crawfish, hot, seasoned, perfect with the sauce. She said, oh, this is so wonderful. I think this is my new favorite. Whoa, more than steak? (gasps) She went back and forth. Maybe I love it. All of my children devoured the 10 pounds. I wish I would have peeled a little faster. They loved it, and I'm going to tell you, the memory of the trash can and the rotten seafood and the line quickly faded in her memory. In fact, it was just 15 to 20 minutes. This is what's going on in our world right now. You're sitting in the line and it stinks every direction. Oh, but the Lord has wonderful things for you. Wonderful things for you. I can prove it biblically. Here's our last scripture, Isaiah 35. As Isaiah is ending his ministry, the armies are coming in. The Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, during both over 50 years of Isaiah's ministry. And Isaiah um, writes of the future glory of Zion, even though they're getting ready to go into captivity. Even though for a short time they're going to sit right in the crosswinds of that trash can. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah 35, 3 through 6. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with a recompense of God. He will come and save you. You will not stay in the wilderness. You will not stay in this place. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters, a miracle, for waters shall burst forth in the wilderness. Where? In the wilderness and streams in the desert. This is the word of the Lord. Let us live on it today and every day. I want you to bow your heads right where you are at home or wherever you are. Surely you've probably felt like this has been a wilderness time. And it is. Let's be honest. It stinks. It's a wilderness time. My God can speak in any environment. God wants to bring clarity to your identity as a person and a family. And God wants to give you revelation in that wilderness. 
Now we're going to spend one minute with the Lord. And He is as much there with you as He is here. The very nature of God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. You ask the Lord to speak. You tell Him no more being angry and complaining about the wilderness. You say, Lord, I'm going to stop that and I'm looking for revelation in this wilderness. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are with us. You dwell on the inside of every believer. And right now I thank you that revelation is coming into every wilderness. Into every marriage that feels like it's so dry and parched in the most miserable place. You are speaking to, those, to that marriage. Into that exhausted parent, you are speaking revelation into them. Into that worker who's trying, who has applied for unemployment dozens of times. Trying to figure out how to keep the job or keep the employees. You are speaking God in that desert, in that wilderness. And I thank you when we come out of this, we will come out in the power of the Spirit. And this world will know that surely they have been with Jesus. Do it by the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus right now. Right now. And we say amen and amen and amen. Peace to you. God bless you. We love you. We long for the day when we will be together again. And I fully know, understand that scripture now. Have a wonderful day. God bless.